Well, I have, uh, I've been doing a series on prayer, so actually what I'm doing is, uh, since all this came up in the middle of my series, I'm just going to include it all in that, even though it's not all necessarily on prayer last week, this week, we have some of those elements there, so nonetheless, we're just going to include it in that little uh, album or whatever we do online, so you can check that out. Today, i got a strange title, it's time for us to get our ducks in a row, so uh, I want to talk about that a little bit. Before I do, you can find the notes on our website, go to victorychurchraleigh.com, and once you do that, you'll see notes, today's notes, click on that, or if you want them filled in, there's a place for blanks, so if you want them filled in, click on that, and then also you need another device if you're going to watch me uh, and do the notes as well, so watch on one device and look at the notes on another, it works well that way, and if we do that, I think it'll, it'll be a, a good experience for all of us. I've got some encouragements uh, just for all of us uh, at Victory Church, uh, we're going to be back to normal very soon. My encouragement would be as normal as you can. For some of us, that's harder than others. So nonetheless, uh, uh, I have four values for all of us that are a part of Victory Church. And, you know, I still have those values. I hope you do too. Our first value is... is um, uh, attend services regularly. Once the sanctions are lifted, I think we're going to have uh, a, a large crowd come to church. Invite your friends that are unchurched to come to, to come to meetings with you. I think it'll be a really, really great time. We need connection with each other. And so, you know, while we're, you know, disconnected personally, we're connected at heart. And we're connected as much as we can online and on social media and such but when we can get back together with services secondly this is a great time to make a commitment if you haven't yet be a part of a small group we have a great small group uh, system here and we've got a lot of small groups that really are a blessing to a lot of people so how many know we need each other and boy you figure it out when you when you're forced to kind of be isolated how, how much you miss people I've heard I've heard from so many saying I just miss my friends I miss coming to church I miss miss the interaction I miss the familiar faces so soon we'll be back together so get involved in the small group our growth track we normally have on Sundays we're starting that right back up when we finish here growth track for victory churches as just how you get to know who we are and how we do what we do. Really, it's our DNA, and it's how we do what we do. Every cell of your body has DNA, so our growth tech is our DNA. So if you haven't done that yet, get involved in our growth tech when we get back together. And then this is really important to me. Get involved with someone outside of yourself. And, and you know, think about always ministering to someone else. You know, back years ago when I first came to the Lord... I started praying, Lord, you've blessed me, make me a blessing. I pray that first thing in the morning. Lord, you've blessed me, make me a blessing. Help me to help someone else. So the fourth thing is we have what we call our dream team, our volunteer force here. Get involved in our dream team. Get involved in helping someone else. For me, when I reach out to someone else, God always reaches back to me. So do that, and I believe you'll be blessed. Today, um, I just have this thing that's been in my heart. Obviously, huge changes happening uh, worldwide. It's happening in the world at large. And uh, let me say this again. I don't think that, uh, I don't think this uh, coronavirus is, has anything necessarily to do with end time. Some people do. What I do think it is, is a wake-up call. It's a dry run. Kind of showing us where we are. You know, if uh, uh, ladies, you've been pregnant, uh, husbands, you've watched your wives go through that. Braxton Hicks contractions come some months before the baby's born. Just letting you know, hey, we're just doing some tuning up because one day we're going to have a baby. So I think in a similar way, the world's kind of waking up right now. and It's time to find out what's important, what's valuable. And uh, so the first thing I want to mention before I get to my main thing is the world as we know it, and I mentioned this Wednesday night, is going, uh, beginning to go through a process of change. And uh, uh, Wednesday night, if you weren't watching Wednesday night, you can go on our website. I'm, I'm going through the book of Revelation. We're all the way up to Revelation chapter 4. And Wednesday night, I talked about the day of judgment that's going to be coming that the Bible calls both Old and New Testament the day of the Lord. And it's a time of, of serious judgment, of sin and rebellion worldwide. Uh, in, uh, just before Jesus comes back and sets up his 1,000-year reign, God owns this earth. And anything that is not from him is going to be kicked out of it one day. So the world's kind of warming up and preparing and getting ready for Jesus to come back. And, uh, and so, so we've been in an age of grace for about, 
you know, 2,000 years and, and the church has preached the grace of God's salvation, not by works, but by grace. And, and that's, we've been doing that for a couple of thousand years. Here we are, and here's what I believe is happening. We're coming to the, to the culmination and end of the age that we've been living in. And we're going to enter into a new age. I went into detail on Wednesday night, this past Wednesday. Go get the lesson. I think it's uh, Lesson 12, Book of Revelation. It's on the website. Nonetheless, we're going, th- we're going through a major change. And it's a really kind of a, kind of a slow process. And, and uh, so we're going to see some things that are unprecedented, strange, weird, unusual, in all kinds of ways with the weather, with... Uh, geologic conditions with volcanoes and earthquakes and all kinds of things like that and uh, and just disruptions that are just kind of crazy and not necessarily anticipated so you know those are previews of things to come and again I think we're kind of in a dry run but think about think about for this is the way I'm, I'm thinking about it think about living in the first century think about Jesus coming he's being raised uh uh, 30 years before his ministry begins, he's born just like everybody else as a baby. He grows up, he's a little boy, he's a teenager, you know, he's doing things at home. And, and, and the world is, uh, the wor- you know, he's, he's just involving himself in his first century world. And Jesus begins to preach the gospel. And the Jewish race has been there for a long, long time. And they've been living a certain way, living under the Old Testament uh, Ten Commandments and, you know, they've got s- sacrifices of animals going on. And, and then Jesus comes on the scene and he preaches the gospel of the grace of God. And he challenges the normal things religiously of the day and he upsets a lot of folk. And, and so he dies. And then he's raised from the dead. And then he ascends to heaven. And then the church age begins. The Holy Spirit's poured out on the day of Pentecost. And, and then the church in full force and in the power of the Holy Spirit goes to minister life uh, during that time. That wasn't a real clean time. It was messy. Because think about it. You've got, a, you've got the religious element on earth during that time. And they were, you know, they were going from animal sacrifices, Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. Then Jesus comes and they found out Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And people are trying to absorb this. You may not just think about it. It took them decades. Go read the book of Acts. They had challenges, confrontations, disagreements because the old was being done away with and they were gradually coming in to a new way of living. And, 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 and go read the book of Galatians. They, the Judaizers, they still thought that believers needed to live under the law. Why, why, would, why did they do that? Because the world was changing. But it wasn't an instant change. It didn't instantly go from, from law to grace. They had to understand what was going on. And, and it took a little bit of time, maybe, maybe a few decades. Now, I don't think the change that we're in is going to take that long. But I'm just saying we're in the middle of somewhat of a similar kind of change in that we're going from a, a time of somewhat stability to a time of instability where everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that those things that cannot be shaken will remain. And Hebrews 12 says, it's in the notes. I won't have time to get to a lot of these scripture today. There's a bunch of them. But everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And so we're going into a different time, an unstable time. And you know what it does for me? It makes you see what's important in your life and what you really need, and what you can do without. And that's where we need to be today. We need to take assessment of where we are, because the world as we know it, whether we like it or not, it's changing. And if I can be real, you know, there's a lot of things that I really like and enjoy that I don't have to have, I don't have to do. But as I know that Jesus is coming back, as I know the world is changing, I know, well, you know, I can just load that off of my life. I don't need that. I don't need to be involved in that. I can, I can do something different. So that's just kind of the way today uh, deals with me. And this is what God's speaking to me. I do want to read one scripture. I've got a bunch in my notes. If you notice, skip down that first section, Matthew chapter 24 uh, verse, ver, begin with verse 35. Jesus said something about the time just before he came back. He said in verse 35, Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words 
will never pass away. He said, now concerning the day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son except the Father only. And then he said this in verse 7. What's 37? What says, as the days of Noah were. So the coming of the Son of Man will be. Now the days of Noah, it took Noah 120 years. They lived a long time. You know, he lived way in excess of 600 years. And uh, so they lived a long time. But it took Noah 120 years to build the ark. And up until that time, it hadn't been raining. There was a cloud canopy that surrounded the earth and made it a pristine environment for human life. And it, it shielded the, the, the rays of the sun and it caused human right life to be long. But nonetheless, 120 years, he's building that boat. Man, he's, he's knocking trees down. He's building a boat. He's putting that thing together. And people are saying, what you doing? He said, I'm building the boat. What for? Where's, you know, the ocean's way out there. He said, well, it's going to rain hard one day. Rain, what do you mean rain? And they kept picking on him and they taunted him. You're crazy, Noah. You're foolish, Noah. You're stupid. But Noah, uh, for 120 years, he had to put up with it. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. We've been saying a long time, Jesus is coming back. Things are changing. Jesus is coming back. Things are changing. And it wasn't until the day that the raindrop started that people took what Noah said seriously. They said, what's going on? He put two of the animals of each kind in the ark, and God shut the door. When the door shut, it started raining, and people started beating on the side of the ark let me in let me in it was too late then so God really this is a dry run for preparation of things to come and Jesus said as the days of Noah were so the coming of the son of man will be for in those days before the flood they were eating drinking marrying giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark so again just like I said things in a lot of ways uh, just before Jesus comes back will be like same old same old life as normal and uh, he said, we want to be ready and not be like those who were, were swept away. And he said here again, verse 39, they didn't know until the flood came, swept them all away. So this is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then verse 40, and this may be a reference to the rapture of the church. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. People are just working like normal and suddenly things change. Two women will be grinding at the meal, one will be taken and one left. They will therefore be alert since you don't know what day your Lord's coming. But know this. If the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you must also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You know, I just have a sense. You may be watching today and, and you don't normally attend church and he's kind of checking us out you know, when I was um, 17 years old, I came to the Lord. I was almost 18, and the Bible was a mystery book. I've been walking with God now over 43 years, and the uncanny thing for me is the Bible, it, it, life is like a jigsaw puzzle. You wonder where the pieces fit. If you find out what God says about life, it's amazing how the pieces fit together. And you'll find out, you, you'll find out that life makes sense when you come to the Lord. God's dealing with you, sir about making Jesus Lord, about making a change in your life. You've wondered why things have happened the way they have in your life. And, and, and I just want you to know God loves you right where you are, in the middle of what you've been involved in. And he wants you to come to know him. If you'll make the changes, if you'll come to him and ask Jesus to come into your life, you'll be amazed at how the pieces of the puzzle for your life will be put back together. And, and God will... Jesus will come into your life. God will become personal to you. And you'll have a sense of peace that you've never, ever had before. Get ready. He's looking for you. So anyway, Jesus says, saying to us, be ready. Get your ducks in a row now. So I've got five things that I just want to talk about real quickly today that we all can do, me included, to make sure, quote, unquote, our ducks are in a row in preparation for the times to come, in preparation for Jesus' return you know, in our modern world, we have so many conveniences, we forget that the world is not going to stay the way it is. There never will be the end of the world, as some people think and say, but there will be changes to the world. And the world is undergoing changes now. When Jesus comes back, the world will change, but the world will still exist. In eternity, there will be a new heavens and new earth, but all the sin elements will be removed. So understand, things are changing, and God's wanting us to change to get ready for the changes. So here 
here are five things we can do to get ourselves ready. Number one, live like you will meet God tomorrow. And I like that. And, you know, I ask myself, do you ever ask yourself this? Um, how would you live if it were your last day on earth? You know, that's, that's a different way to think, isn't it? It's kind of a McCabe way of thinking, a strange way of thinking. But what if, you, what if you didn't have a tomorrow? Today's your last day. How would you live? What would you value? Who would you talk to? How would you spend your time? What would you think about? What would you do? Well, that's, a, that's the way we should live, actually, every single day. And, uh, you know, don't do anything that you wouldn't do on your last day on earth. Uh, one of the men of God of yesteryear, Leonard Ravenhill, I think he said, uh, are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? It's a great question to ask ourselves. And this is the thing that um, you don't hear a lot today, but I think we're going to start hearing a lot more. Uh, salvation is free. We don't work for our salvation. We don't earn it. You know, it's a free gift of God. But what we do give God after salvation is our life, and we give him our lifestyle. And, and the truth is, uh, we're going we're gonna to answer for what we did with our time and what we did with the energies allotted to us post-salvation, after salvation. And all of us as believers individually, after we die or are raptured, are going to stand individually before Jesus Christ and just talk to him about what we did with the salvation he gave us and what we did with our time, our talents and such. And uh, we will be answerable. Unbelievers will believe in Revelation chapter 20. There's a place called the Great White Throne Judgment. That's what Bible scholars uh, call it. And that's what the Bible itself calls it. There's a great white throne. And all of the dead, small and great stand before God. All the unbelievers of all ages will actually stand individually before God. And they will give account of their lives, where the, uh, did they did they do the right thing? Did they honor God? Did they make Jesus Lord? They'll be they'll be judged by their works because you know most people that don't know the Lord. I did this before I knew the Lord. They live by their works and they think their works are going to get them to heaven. But at the great white throne judgment, because they think that God will say, "Well, I'll I'll give you a chance to see if your works stack stack up to to to, to being right and being able to enter heaven," and and none of them will be able to. And that's called the great white throne judgment. And every person that goes to hell, they will be judged. There will be a trial. There will be a jury. God's the, God's the jury. And, you know, their righteousness, their good works don't stack, stack up to them being able to go to heaven. And they'll be cast into a place called the lake of fire. But we as believers, see, we're still going to be judged or rewarded. We're going to stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, New Living Translation, we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in our earthly body. Salvation's not in view, but we're going to receive rewards in heaven when we get there as Christians based on how we spend our time and based on what we do. Amplified is really good of this verse. Listen to this. We must all appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ. That word judgment, I don't have time. I'm not going to take time to get into it today. The Greek word means a rewards seat. And it speaks, it speaks of the Greek games and the and the, that they played in the first century, and they had judges that were sitting up watching which one crossed the finish line. For instance, runners, which one crossed the finish line uh, first? And it's the person that was discerning the winner. And, and Jesus is sitting on that, on that rewards seat, and he's watching us run our race, and then we get to stand before him, and he talks to us about what he saw. So it says we all must appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive his pay according to what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. And then the Amplified adds, considering what his purpose and motive have been uh, and what he's achieved, been busy with and given himself and his attention to accomplishing. Wow, that is a lot to say. And I don't know about you, but it makes me want to introspect me. Am I, am I obeying God? Am I doing what, I, what he's called me to do? Or am I living life for self-pleasure 
and only to please myself. Those are things that we in modern culture need to deal with every single day, isn't it? Romans 14 says it again, New Living Translation, verse 10. So why do you contemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God or Christ. Same thing. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Now, he's again speaking there about the the reward seat, or the scriptures call it the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, And then, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 reveals this. As we live life, the foundation for uh, our life is that we've made Jesus Lord. That's the foundation. And then every day we live, we're building on a foundation, and we're building a house. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3 shows what, uh, what materials our house is built with. For he says, again, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 3, For no one can lay any other foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. Anyone who builds on the foundation may use a variety of materials. So every day we live, we're building on the foundation of our allegiance to Jesus. And he says this, Uh, They use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, and straw. And then he goes on to say here, uh, but on the judgment day, that is when we stand before Jesus, Jesus, the judgment seat of Christ, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. Now, John saw Jesus on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1, and he said his eyes were as flames of fire. His eyes were the judge. It's incredible. When I get before, I just want to melt at his feet, you know. But it goes on to say here, the fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through the walls of flame. So he says here, if you're in Christ, you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're in heaven. If you're in Christ, you're before the, the, the judgment seat of Christ. And salvation is not in view. It's what we did. And it's how we lived our life. It's what we valued, how we spent our time. Did we obey what God called us to do in this life? He says if we do what God's called us to do, then we're accruing things that that actually are purified in fire. Gold, silver, precious jewels. But if we live to please ourselves, and sadly, so much of the modern culture today revolves around I, me, my, and mine. I want to do what I want to do. I, wanna, I feel like doing this. I want to do that. The culture's doing this. If we live that way, he says, we're accruing wood, hay, and straw. What happens to, what happens to materials like that when fire is set to them? They burn up and they turn to ashes. So I think all of us probably going to have some jewels. And I think all of us, including me, going to have some ashes laying at our feet. So it's just something to think about. We want to live life every day as if it were our last. So, you know, ask yourself, will what I'm doing and what I value in life endure the flames of inspection from Jesus' eyes? Really kind of a, kind of a deep thought, isn't it? First Corinthians 11 says this, if we would judge ourselves will not be judged. When we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Secondly, right on the heels of that, second thing to do just to kind of get ready for Jesus to come is clean up the sin in your life. I mean, that's as blunt as I know how to put it. You know, you want to be connected to God really quickly. You know, I I thought I was actually riding my bicycle yesterday and I was thinking I was going over my notes in my mind. And, and, you know, I saw, I came to this clean up the sin in your life and I saw a big field of weeds. And there's all kinds of debris, all kinds of weeds and and you know, you want to get to another destination in front of you, but you got to go around some tall weeds, some crazy looking stuff, maybe some brambles and some briars. That's what sin does. In the life of a believer. It separates us from fellowship with our God. And and we can't get to him until we clean up the debris. In fact, listen to this. Psalm 66 verse 18. This is passion translation. Really good. Yet if I closed my eyes to my sin, the Lord would have closed his ears to my prayer. 
You see, God doesn't hear our prayers if we're involved in sin or we have what we call unconfessed sin in our life. That's the reason that John said in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Keep short accounts with God. Don't allow unconfessed sin in your life. Usually, and I've been doing this my whole Christian life. Lord, I, I say if there's anything I've done in thought, in word, or action that's, that I've missed the mark and I've not caught it, I ask forgiveness. There's two kinds of sins. There's sins of omission. That is, things we didn't do that we should have done. We omitted them. Then there's sins of commission. The things we did and we shouldn't have done it. And generally, we know we shouldn't have done it. Well, you want to make sure you keep short accounts with God. Confess those things to the Lord. John nine thirty one. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. So again, you know, we all need to clean ourselves up and make sure that things are right with the Lord. I'll never forget, I've shared this, uh, I've shared this story several times back in uh, 2008 when I was in Congo. A tank almost ran over a, a, a car I was in, an SUV I was in. And just before it, and, and it diverted at the last minute. But I mean, you know, it was such a surreal time. And just before it did, I, I, I mean, you, you don't have time to think. My, my mind was literally thinking, what's it? And I shared this a few Sundays ago. What's, what's it going to feel like to be crushed by metal? Because there it was. And then it was gone. And, and then the missionary I was with, Bruce McDonald, turned around. There's a businessman right beside me. He said, don't, and I'll never forget what he said. It's, it's etched into my memory for life. He said, don't wait to pray. Make sure you're right with God now. You may not have time to pray. Man, phew, it was quiet in that car. A 30-minute ride took an hour and a half. People were uh, trying to commandeer and steal our vehicle, and we had to run away from it. took an hour and a half. I mean, y'all, it was an awakening. I mean, so, you know, y- you never know when things are going to happen, and you don't have time to pray. I've been there in life. We had, a, we had a baboon jump in our car one time, and we didn't have time to pray. Who you are comes up immediately. The guy beside me said, Jesus, 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 and I'm trying to get out the door. You, you never know. You never know, y'all, what's coming up in life. Keep short accounts with God. Second Corinthians 7, 1, Therefore, having this promise as beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is not written to unbelievers. It's written to Christians. He said we need to clean ourselves up. What happens is we get involved in the culture around us, and some of that stuff ekes off on us. And we need to be really, really careful about it. New Living Translation of that same verse, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness before we feel fear, because we fear God. Question I ask me, question you should ask you. Have I been doing anything that defiles me, defiles my thoughts, defiles my emotions, defiles my physical body, or defiles me spiritually? Have I been hugging up to things that our culture says is okay, and it's hindering my fellowship with God? My friends, this is a day to pay attention to those things. It's really easy to allow the influences of the world around us and our culture to affect us. And that's the reason the Apostle Paul, before he even said this to the Corinthian believers, listen to his passionate appeal. Before he went to uh, chapter 7, verse 1, listen to, it's just a letter he wrote, wasn't it in chapter and verse? Listen to what he said before he told them to cleanse themselves. He says, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? Cause the believer righteousness. Cause the unbeliever wickedness. He says, how can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them, walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, he said, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them. That's, that's in what you do. You know, we eat, Jesus ate with, with people that didn't want to know him, the, some of the worst people in their culture. We don't segregate. We, segregation is when you physically separate, but separation is something on the inside. I keep myself pure 
secure before God regardless of where I am or who's around me. I don't let the influences on the outside come in and defile me. I keep myself pure. And you know what? We need to be around people that walk in darkness because they need to see our light. He said, therefore, come out from among them. Separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things. And I'll welcome you. He says, I'll be a, a fa- your father. You'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So all of us need to keep short accounts with God. Clean the sin up in our life. There's something that you've been involved in. You know, sin becomes habitual. You can be a believer and you know what? You got something that you've allowed in your life and it's become a habit. You know it's wrong. God knows it's wrong, but, but you haven't done anything about it yet. Well, do something about it. Uh, I, love the, I love 1 John. It's one of my favorite books in the New Testament. And the Apostle John was such a loving man. And he said this in, in 1 John 1.8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But he said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In my mind, I say it this way. Every time I quote that verse, I do one thing God does for. I do one thing God does for. I do one thing God does for, I confess my sin. What does that mean? I agree with God that what I'm thinking, what I've been saying, what I've been involved, that's wrong. That's agreeing. In fact, the Greek word there means to say the same thing that someone else says. So I'm agreeing with God. I do one thing he does for. If I'll confess, God, what I'm saying, what I'm doing, it's wrong. I judge it. See, 1 Corinthians 11 says if we judge ourselves, I judge that, Lord. I confess that to you. He'll do four things. He'll be faithful to you. He'll be just, that is, he's fair. He'll forgive you of your sin and then cleanse you from unrighteousness. Isn't that awesome? So if we confess what we know we did wrong, you know, the grace of God will wipe away the things that that we did that we may not realize are wrong. I go a step further in my own life and I always say, Lord, if there's anything I should have done that I didn't do, or something I did and it just slipped by me, I didn't realize it, forgive me now. And you know what? The blood of Jesus. Aren't you glad it cleanses from sin? And then 1 John 2, 1 and 2, I love this, my little children. The Apostle John says, I write these things to you so that you won't sin, but, but, if you do. And see, he recognizes that, you know, we live in a fallen world, we're imperfect people, and as much as you want to, the best intentions that you have as a believer, sometimes you're going to do something wrong. He says, if anyone does sin, any believer does sin, we have an advocate, a lawyer with the Father who pleads our case before the Father. He's Jesus Christ, the only truly righteous one. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of all the world. Ask God to help you in the areas that you're weak in. This is a great time to do that while we're all just kind of hunkered down, waiting on normal to come back. Take some time to seek the Lord. Um, and I've, I've talked about this for years. I, I don't have a lot of time for detail, but you know, if you got habit things mentally, emotionally, physically that you know are wrong, you know, you break a habit. There are three ways you break a habit. First of all, you catch it after the fact. If you, if you know, if you're saying something you shouldn't say, immediately say, God, I shouldn't have said that that way. That's wrong. You're acting in a selfish way, judge it. If you've got thoughts that you know shouldn't be in your mind, Lord, I shouldn't be thinking that. You're catching it after the fact. You're doing something you know you shouldn't do. God, I shouldn't be doing that. I've let that be a habit. I judge that. Forgive me now. See, and then you may keep doing it because it's a habit. Well, just keep doing that. If you do that, eventually, in the middle of it, well, what am I doing? I'm thinking that. I'm saying that. Lord, I repent. In Jesus' name, forgive me. Uh, catch it after the fact. Catch it while you're doing it. If you do that long enough, it takes some time. Then just before you start to say that thing, I'm not, I'm not involving myself in that gossip. I'm not, I'm not saying that word because I, I don't need to do that. Or I'm not, you know what, I'm not thinking. No, no, I refuse that. See, that's how you break a habit. So keep short accounts with God. Confess your sin. Number three, getting ready, getting our ducks in a row. Number three, church, choose faith. Over circumstance every day. Now, we all have choices to make. Circumstances come up that we don't expect every single day. And we've got to choose faith over circumstances. So just a couple of admonitions here. If you want to choose faith, you got to turn off the news. How many hear me? You know, if I'm out in public right now, I can tell what people are feeding on. I don't even have to go into detail. You can see fear on people today, and it's based on what they're listening to. If you're full of fear, what in this world are you listening to? 
You ought to be, we should be listening to more of God's word than anything else in life. Listen, I, it took me about an hour and a half. I rode 23 miles yesterday on my bicycle, and it was hot as blazes. But you know what I did the whole time? The whole time, I got the word of God going in both ears. The whole way, all the way to my destination, all the way back. It's, it's not that I didn't know the word. I can quote a lot of it, but I need to hear it because faith comes from what I hear. So what are you hearing the most of? Unbelief, doubt, fear, all these suggestions of what may occur. Well, you know what? You'll be filled with the wrong things. Today's the day, how many know, to fill ourselves full of faith. Turn off the news and let your faith rise up. Uh, years ago, I heard Kenneth Hagin say this, Lester Summerall say this, and I think they got it from Smith Wigglesworth, an, uh, an English evangelist. Feed your faith and starve your doubts. Now, we need to do that today. If you're, if you're unsettled, apprehensive, don't know what's going to happen, the worst thing you can do is keep the news on all day long because you're going to be filled with the wrong thing. Starve that stuff. Get in the Word. And you'll find out that faith is like a shield. And you know, the, the, the shield of a, of a Roman soldier was head to toe. You hold it up in front. When you look at that shoulder's coming your way, all you can see is the shield. And the enemy's shooting the darts. Uh, the darts are hitting the shield. Faith stands between me and the circumstances that I face. That, that faith shield, it stands between me and the circumstances that I experience. So faith Faith is the go-between. We can't help what comes to us in life, but what we can help is our response. I can either respond in faith or I can respond in fear. And so now it's really important. Commit everything to God. Uh, the moment it arises, the moment uh, doubt comes, the moment fear comes, those fiery darts of the enemy come. First century, they literally had fire-tipped darts, you know, filled with all kinds of things, sometimes even poison, and you know, uh, so when it comes your way, the first thing that should answer is your faith. How, wh what I mean by that, what does God say about my health? He said Jesus took my infirmities and bare my sicknesses. What does God say about my needs being met, my material needs? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. The way you walk by faith is when the thoughts come, you know, when the circumstances look really strange, say out loud what you believe. Jesus said in Mark 11, whoever says to the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea. Doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass. He'll have what he says. Faith speaks words. So you know what? When doubt comes my way, I starve my doubt. I feed my faith. A good way to feed your faith, listen to the word, but say what you believe out loud. Now, y'all, I've, uh, I've, you know, all these years I've lived, I've been on church staffs. I've started churches. I've been in my own ministry. I've been here at Victory for 25 years. And just, you know, ask any pastor that has done anything for God, have you had a faith struggle? You have a lot of them. And you know what I found out? If you let faith answer the door when the challenges come, you'll be ready and you won't give in. So for me, the way I do that, sometimes I feel, I feel the fear. Sometimes I feel like, oh my Lord, nothing, nothing good's coming out of this. What am I going to do? What's going to happen? You have all these questionings that come in your mind. When that happens to me over the years... Without question, I get off by myself. There have been times I've gotten out of bed in the middle of the night. Susan's sleeping soundly. I get my tail out of bed. I get in my, uh, I get in my living room. And I walk round and round and say, Father, here's what you said. Lord, here's what you said. You said this in your word. You said this in your word. You said this in your word. And I let my faith shield answer the door to the doubt and unbelief that comes. And that's what we need to do today. How many hear what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, feed your faith, starve, starve your doubts, choose faith over circumstance every single day. Second Corinthians 4.18, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. How do you fix your gaze on things that cannot be seen? Uh, you do that by focusing your thoughts on what the Bible says about you. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us and gave himself for us. Quote it over and over. Say it out loud over and over. If you feel like you're about to be defeated, no, all the promises of God are yes and amen. And you just say it over and over. Nay, in all these things, I'm more than a conqueror. He that spared not his own son, will he not also freely give us all things? You just say what God says 
over and over and over and over. That's the shield of faith. And that's the, that quenches all of that unbelief that comes. Faith takes the place of what, listen to this. Faith takes the place of what we don't have until it shows up. Now, I love that. Um, uh, one translation, I think, is New Century Version of Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith means sh- being sure of the things we hope for. And faith means knowing that something is real even if we don't see it. I like that. So, so for me, you know, faith takes the place of what I don't have. What do I not have sometimes? Peace. What do I not have sometimes? You know, l- lack of emotional trouble. Uh, lack of stability because of what's happening around me. So what takes the place of that? My faith. Faith takes the place of what I don't have. Uh, Sometimes if the enemy is attacking my body and sickness comes, well, what it feels like is sick, but what God's promised is well, so I let faith take the gap. Faith's a gap stander. It takes the place of what God promised until it shows up. So I think about it that way. And that's the reason when, you go in the, when you're in the hard place, let the shield of faith. Choose, choose faith over circumstance every time. Look to the word. Say what God's word says about you out loud, even if it looks like it's not working. The greatest, the greatest uh, things that God's done in my life, it looked like it would never work. And suddenly things changed. Sometimes I had to stand in there for a while. And my faith had to stand in the gap between, between what God promised me in his word and what I was actually experiencing. Faith takes the place of what you don't have until what God promised shows up. Choose faith over circumstances every day. Fourthly, now this is important today. Make a daily choice to love people. And, you know, tough times, you know, I put it in my notes, it brings out the stinker in all of us. How many know all of us got some stubborn in us? All of us got some flesh. All of us at times, you know, we, like Joe McGee says, we all act sometimes like the north end of a southbound mule. That's just the way we are. We're stubborn. We're aggravating. And sometimes life brings that up. And, uh, and uh, so choose to love. Really, today's the day to how many know it's true. Put myself last. Put other people first. In every situation, you know, the true test of spirituality is how I treat other people when I don't feel good. Is that true? So when things aren't going well, nothing's, nothing's going your way like the psalm says, everything's going, nothing's going your way. So well, how do you treat others? Are you mean? Are you aggravating? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a the telltale sign. I need to develop my love life. Treat other people the way I want to be treated. That's the golden rule. Do to others what you'd have them do to you. Leave some toilet paper on the toilet paper aisle. I mean, come on, don't go get 10 packs. I'm glad the grocery stores limit the stuff. Some people just self-centered. You know, God may have you in the line. And there was only one little thing of toilet paper left. And he may say, give it to the person in front of you. They need some. What am I going to do? He'll make a way. How many hear me? So I'm just saying, you know, do to others. Treat others the way you want to be treated. You could extrapolate that into all, all areas of life. The way we treat people in our business life, in our social life, in our families, you know, in, in traffic. God forbid all these other things. It really shows Uh, whether we love or not, or whether we are in the center of our world. And I've noticed a trend in America. A lot of people are bent on pleasing pleasing themselves at the expense of what it does to someone else. And that's a sure sense of cultural decline. And you know what? In the middle of cultural decline, God's called us to make a change. How many know it? God's called us to love. I love this verse, Matthew 24 10, it says here, many will be offended, betray one another, hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up, Jesus said, to deceive many. And then verse 12, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Amplified says, and the love, verse 12, of the great body of people will grow cold because of multiplied lawlessness. And iniquity. You know what that means? I just had it. You never had the attitude? I've just had it. They're going to do that and I'm going to do it back to it. Don't do that. That's love growing cold. We're to love even if people don't treat us nice. Love anyway. 
And so he said, and he says, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Message paraphrase of verse 12. Many others look in your notes. The overwhelming spread of evil will do them in. Nothing left of the love but a mound of ashes. I don't know about you. I don't want my love to be burned up because of the way other people treat me. I want to love anyway. Passion translation, verse 12, Matthew 24. There'll be such an increase of sin and lawlessness that those whose hearts once burned with passion for God and others will grow cold. So, you know, in the middle of a crazy, crazy culture we live in today, God wants us to love. And you got to make a decision. I'm going to love on purpose. I'm going to love the unlovable. I'm going to love people that don't treat me nice. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Listen to this. You've heard it was said you'll love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. See, love is not a feeling. Love is an action based on my relationship with God. What did He made it as practical as I know you can, you can make it. Jesus said, love your enemy. An enemy is some, somebody who doesn't treat you nice, doesn't say nice things to you, doesn't do nice things to you. Jesus said, love them anyway. And he told you exactly how to do it. He said, bless those that curse you. They look at you and go, you go, well, God bless, God bless you. I hope you have a great day. And they go, blah, 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 blah. You say, well, I hope you have a double blessed day. Right? Then he said, and do good to those who hate you. How do you do good to those who hate you? Buy them lunch. Say, so, you know, I think I'm going to take you to Chick-fil-A today. I'm going to get you, the, I'm gonna get you uh, three sandwiches or whatever. You like salad? I'll get you two salads. You can have one for you and have one for later. How about that? Well, blah, blah, blah. well you know, I'm going to buy you three now. Let's go. I'm, I just want to bless you, right? And then he said, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That is, pray for those that use you to their advantage. You ever been in a situation and you know full well, that person don't even like me, but they're smiling, show me their pearly whites, and they're just doing it because they're wanting something out of me. Or they're using me as a stepping stone at the job. Well, you know what? Love them. Pray for them. But don't get on that level. That's what Jesus is saying. Number five, as I hurry to a close, make prayer a priority today. So let me just say this. If you're not, if you're worrying, you're not praying with faith. You get that? A lot of people do worry in praying. That is, they tell God, what I mean by that is, they think it's prayer. They talk about all their circumstances. They tell God about all that's not happening and how bad they feel. And it's okay to do that, but don't live there. If you say that, and listen, I go to God just like you do. And I say, Lord, I'm feeling this and this and this. And this is happening, that's happening. They're saying that, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? I don't stay there and go, oh, God. I say, but you said. And I remind him of what he said in his word about me, that I'm going to come through this, that I'm going to overcome, that things are going to be okay. Don't worry over anything, whatever. Tell God every detail of your need in sincere and thankful prayer. Don't just bellyache to God about the problem. Go the step further and remind him of what you know his word says about you in prayer. And then you stand in faith. And how many know God helps you overcome? So make prayer a priority. And let's be real. Prayer is not always easy in times when you're under duress, stress. You know, you don't feel a lot. You know, a lot of times I don't feel the presence of God. Doesn't seem like God's even here. But it doesn't matter how it seems or what it feels. I go to God based on his word. And we all have to do that. If I go to God based on what I feel, I feel like he's not there. But, But you know what? He's closer than a brother. He's very close. And if I'm honoring him, honoring his word, he's right there. He's right there. He said he would be. He said, we're two or three together together. I'm right there. If nobody's with me, he and I make a majority. He's there. He's with me. And so, you know, don't go by your feelings. Pray. Force yourself to pray sometimes. I do. Make it a habit. Early church had hours of prayer, specific set times. I think that's a good thing to do. I have set times of prayer in my life. When I get up in the morning, I read, then I pray. I have certain times through the day. I make sure I get off by my side, self, and just do some praying. I pray throughout the day. Uh, Paul told the Thessalonian believers, pray without ceasing. So uh, make sure prayer is the first thing you do each day. Make it regular. Feelings come and go. Uh, But, you know, don't base answered prayer on what you feel. And expect answers to come. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. 
and he will show you which path to take. I've got a number of scriptures in my notes. If you'll look at them about prayer, and I've been talking about prayer the last number of weeks, this is a great time to put into effect just some things that, uh, that create answered prayer. Make prayer a priority every day. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, think, I, I don't think I've ever gone a day without praying since I've known the Lord. And I encourage you to, you know, everything that bothers you during this time, we're all, you know, isolating or whatever because, uh, you know, we want to make sure we get rid of this coronavirus thing rapidly. Well, take advantage of it. Take, take some walks. I walk just about every day, and, and I take prayer walks, and I pray. I talk to the Lord about everything that bothers me. Do that. Develop your prayer life. And you know what I found? I found sometimes you'll feel God, sometimes you won't. Sometimes it'll, it'll seem like he's listening because that's what your feelings tell you. And sometimes it seems like God's a million miles away. You know what I found out? Some of the greatest answers to prayer I've had have come when I felt absolutely nothing. So learn to pray and, and, and let prayer be dependent on what God's word says about me, about you and your circumstance, not on how you feel. And so again... Live every day as if it were your last. Here's some action points again. Live like you'll meet God tomorrow. Clean up the sin. Uh, choose faith over circumstance. Make a daily choice to love people. Make prayer a priority. You know, we're living in an unusual time. And God wants to do some amazing things in us. And then he wants to use us to bless others. So can, can, I, can I pray for you right now? Father, I pray for every person that's listening today or at another time. And I pray that the Spirit of God would work deeply in every individual. Father, those that may be listening that don't know you. Father, Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father himself draw him. Lord, I pray for the drawing of the Father in every life, every person that's listening today or at some time in the future. Draw us.